jinkies. Oh, what's that gross book made out of skin? It's not a book. It's a tome made out of skin. Ew. What's it say? Behold the collected apocrypha of Stacy Ponder, the writer for Final Girl. And Anthony Hudson, the programmer for Queer Horror. And together they are... Oh my god! Don't read it out loud! Don't read it out loud! of Darkness! Well, hello everybody who is listening. Hello, humanoids, <laughs> listening with your ears. Yes, hello people with functioning ears who are enjoying our program. Welcome to Podcast Listening Station. Listen... People got two episodes out of us last week. Okay, they got the regular episode, and they got the emergency Kyle Richards update. Oh my god. Some of it we're still talking about. Oh, in our private times, yeah. Oh my god, we're still, listeners, we're still taking our fingerprint dust, and we're dusting all those screenshots. Yeah, the Kyle thing. The Kyle, we're dusting Morgan Wade's ex-girlfriend's TikTok video. We're analyzing, we're zooming in, we're printing, we're enhancing, enhancing, we have enhance and then print. That's the mistake I made last time, but it's still a hot topic because how could it not be? How could it not be? Kyle has first, she said she would not respond to the rumors of her and Morgan Wade. And then she said, no, the rumors are not true. Hmm. Take that as it comes, I guess. Well, I believe the evidence. Me too, your honor. Or whatever. I don't know. Okay. We are in Gaylord's court. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> well, uh, today we're going to talk about, are we going to talk about a horror movie? No. This is, look, this is still, yes, still, we are holding on to the good feelings of We Saw Mamamoo in Concert Month. Hell yeah. And if you notice, if you look back over We Saw Mamamoo in Concert Month at the things that we've, the episodes that have come out. Clearly, it just means we can do an episode on just about whatever we want. Although it is all at least tangentially tied to horror somehow, if not a horror movie outright. Yes. It's a, it's like a, it's a, it's a stream of consciousness sort of month. Right? We began with our experiences at the concert and what happened on that trip. Uh... Which then turned into, what did we do after that? <laughs> Diablo? What Diablo, which was what we did immediately after the trip, which then turned into Ganjam because still thinking about the concert, thinking about Solar and what she loves, horror, Ganjam haunted asylum. And then what came out of that conversation? I referenced American movie. And Anthony uh was a little was having a moment of like oh my god i forgot about american movie yep and so now here we are doing an episode on american movie which is tangentially related to horror 100 percent. yeah there it's about the creation of a horror sort of short film yeah american movie 1999 158 years ago Whew. Ooh, what a blast from the past. I loved it. What a great movie. Have you guys seen an American movie? Probably a lot of you have. A lot of the younger folk might not have, though. I feel like this was a big, um, this was a big, like, in the era of the blockbuster, there would be, like, one or two indie movies that you start seeing the poster everywhere, and you don't, you're just curious what the, this is. And I feel like this was one of those movies. You know, you just see these two guys on a poster and you're like, what's that? (laughs) It's good when a movie poster gets you thinking along those lines, though. Gets you intrigued, right? You say, hey, I have questions. (laughs) What is that? What's that? (laughs) Yeah, no, this was, was, it's hard to kind of uh, describe this era because this era of, filmmaking is so over now like it's so over like at this point in time and i think it's just because of the rise of the digital age and streaming and social media and all of that just inevitably changed the game entirely um but there was this era where like 
you know, when Tarantino first came on the scene and Robert Rodriguez and Kevin Smith and it was all mm-hmm. men like, yeah, women were making movies too. Like, yeah, there was go fish. Hello. Uh, you know, but there was the men who got all of the spotlight. Yeah. Independent maverick filmmakers. It was kind of a very nineties thing. It's like when maybe this is niche, but there's, there gotta be some listeners who understand and Anthony maybe you do too, but it's like when all of those Marvel comics artists said, fuck you Marvel. And they went and they founded image comics, right? Yes, absolutely. It's the same kind of thing where it's like, I'm not going to work for the man. I'm going to make my own thing and do it my own way. And sometimes you luck out and you become a Tarantino or a Rodriguez. And you know, the, film you financed on your credit cards becomes a smash hit mm-hmm. sometimes most times that doesn't happen for you yeah and sometimes you become the subject of a documentary instead but it was a time where people felt like it was possible so it was kind of nice to uh revisit this movie and get the blast from the past uh, also there's something a little sad about it i think i think it's also it's a very funny documentary it's also very, it's a tragedy absolutely i mean it's my it's it's that's my favorite kind of documentary where it's bittersweet um it's funny it captures the human experience and because it does all those things it's there's actually an enormous cloud of sadness underneath it <laughs> or within it above it uh i think jasper mall does that the movie that you talked told me about recently that changed my life um uh another from the 90s that i love also from this era there was did you ever see wonderland did i see wonderland it was about oh what was that like intentional community it was like one of the first it was about levittown oh no and it's it's literally like it because it was like the first manufactured suburb basically and the filmmakers just follow like it was supposed to be Levittown, like the the new atomic suburb, <laughs> like it was going to be the the blueprint for how all American life was supposed to be, and uh, and it never took off. And then it, like thirty years later, these filmmakers go in and they find the elderly people that are still living there, and like half of them are swingers. And there's the one lady that has the ghost in her house, even though nobody <laughs> lived in her house except her. <laughs> it's amazing. But there's all, but there's like kind of an underarching just because it's so real, so human, so funny. There's it also comes with the realities of life, and that it is there. It's there's a sadness, and I love that. I love that vibe. That's very much this movie. This movie follows a young filmmaker, we'll call him, <laughs> named Mark Borchart. He's thirty or so when this is made. Um, it starts, he is trying to complete, well, he's trying to start a feature film he's been working on called Northwestern. He's shot some footage years prior, like in 1990, he shot some footage, but it never went anywhere. And now he really wants to ramp up production on Northwestern and get that finished. Like he says, this time I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to just drink and dream, but I'm going to create and complete. Hmm. And so it is following his story of trying to get Northwestern made. It's a shit show. He is deeply in debt. He is constantly going over all the bills he has to pay, all the outstanding bills he has, et cetera, et cetera. He's an alcoholic. Yeah, he's an alcoholic. He's got three kids that he's having custody fights with his ex-girlfriend over. Um, All kinds of problems, like very much... A hardworking, on the one hand, he's totally hardworking. On the other hand, he's a total slacker. He really just wants yeah. to sit around and drink beer is what he really wants to do, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, even when you see the the movie itself that he shoots where he does end up filming, like so much of what we see is just shots of him just drinking. Yeah, he stars in all of them and they are all about men with drinking problems. Yeah. So when... Northwestern inevitably falls apart and he's running out of money. He decides that what he's going to do is go back and finish a short film that he had started called Coven. (laughs) (laughs) And people say, no, it's Coven. The word is Coven. It's how it's pronounced. And he's like, no, man. Coven sounds like oven. It's Coven. 
How else would you pronounce it? How else would you pronounce it? Coven. (laughs) (laughs) So he's going to go back and finish Coven, a short film, because he has it in mind that if he can sell 3,000 copies of Coven on like VHS at $14.95 a pop, he will make so much money and that money can go towards finishing Northwestern. And so it's a the movie the documentary becomes about him attempting to finish Coven and eventually he does finish it in fact like the night of the premiere he finishes Coven and they have a big premiere in town and it kind of ends on a a really upbeat sort of ending like you think okay great things are like maybe he's going to get his shit together and he's going to, you know, his Uncle Bill, who is a producer. Oh, Uncle Bill. <laughs> who is a producer. on, uh, You know, he's put up some of the money for COVID. He's put up some money for Northwestern. He's infamously stingy in the family. And uh, there's a postscript that says he died like, oh. shortly after the premiere of COVID. But he left Mark $50,000 in his will to go towards the making of Northwestern. And so you think, yay. Maybe we've got a filmmaker on our hands here. Spoiler alert, no, we don't. He hasn't really finished anything since. Um, but <laughs> He just accomplished one thing. Yeah, which is even more than a lot of people accomplish in, in, on, on the one hand. Um, but this, is, this movie is... This movie is so good. Oh, it's just incredible. Um, it's, it's interesting to me that he is so knowledgeable about movies. He's like, right at the beginning, the camera pans over his bookshelves and he's like, he's that guy who's got all the film books. Yep. He's got the book about Sofia Coppola movies and Spike Lee movies and Stanley Kubrick films. And he's very well read and he's seen a shit ton of movies. And so he's like, he's got the technical knowledge. You look at some of the shots from COVID and stuff, like he's shooting on 16 millimeter and it's like, some of these shots are pretty nice. Mm-hmm. Script is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so are Rob Zombies. Sure. But it's just, I don't know. The he, It's like the film bro. The 90s film bro is such an interesting character now. Oh, yeah. Probably no formal training at all. It's like Tarantino made it happen and everybody wanted to be Tarantino. Yeah, that's like once in a million generations. I don't know. And they show some films that he shot when, like on Super 8 when he was a kid or when he was a teenager with his friends. Like he's had these lifelong friends that he's had since childhood who are still helping him out on his movies. And it's like the, the backyard horror movies he was making when he was a kid were really original looking and really cool. The one, what, it's just called I Blow Up. <laughs> Where there's this great scene in the movie where he they ask him about uh, some of his inspirations as a filmmaker, and he just starts listing off like the films um, and what was aesthetically or the, what what was the thing that drove him to love these films. So he talks about Dawn of the Dead and how they weren't making movies like that, or Texas Chainsaw, and he uh, he really was falling in love with that 16 millimeter aesthetic. And then they'll start showing clips of his films. And how they kind of mimic that look. And then I blow up that I think they start showing that when he's talking about Texas Chainsaw. And you can see a lot of uh, aesthetic similarity in the imagery. But like the colors and the contrast, the image is very interesting. And then you just see shots of just hit parts of his body just exploding, blood yeah. shooting out. <laughs> I just love the title, I Blow Up. Yeah. (laughs) But also, like, as that kid that had the camcorder, also in a cemetery, I didn't have a beer in one hand and a camcorder in the other, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) But as that same kid, like, I... I don't know. It, it, I felt wistful for these moments of um, youthful creativity and just, like, that nonstop drive to be making movies with your friends. Mm Mm-hmm. I think he's, I think looking at American movie, I think he is still in that frame of mind as a 30 year old adult. Yes. Yeah. There's some arrested development stuff. happening. Um, He still just wants to make movies with his friends, but he just neglects all the other parts of his life. Plus you've got the whole alcohol thing, but. And it's interesting that the movie never really, they capture that, but they don't confront it. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's just something that you realize as it goes on, like, oh, he's asking his friend who's sober to buy him beer or to go out to a bar with him. 
oh, his mom's mad that he's drinking. Like, you you notice it more and more as it goes on, and then you realize that it is an issue. But the movie never targets him specifically for it, or, like, condemns him for it, or names it. Uh, but, yeah, there's that. There's all the debt. Like, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, especially when you're owing your own family that much money, too. <laughs> It's like ten thousand that he owes his dad, three thousand that he owes poor Uncle Bill. Oh, Uncle Bill! Uh, all of that. That he has alimony that he hasn't paid. He has his three kids, and yet he's still hanging out with Ken Keen, who his mom's like, "He has a bad influence." Yeah, <laughs> and it's just it's interesting that like people, uh, most of the people in his life still completely indulge him. Well, they all say, I mean, he's like one of those people that's a force, right? Where everyone says the same thing about him, like that he is unstoppable. He's indomitable. Yeah, he's very persuasive and he he has an infectious energy and he talks a big game. And so people are like, well, okay. So like one guy says, one of the actors or whatever in one of these movies is like, you know what? If I can, I'll give up 10 weekends to help him make his dream come true. Like it's no big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but then his brothers, on the other hand, oh. are pretty vicious in their assessment of him. Particularly the one who, who's like, you know, I, I thought he was going to be a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, he should just get a job in a factory. I get it. But he's like, oh, I'm not going to work for the man, man. <laughs> You're all weak, man. Oh. Oh, but it's so rough like that that because i feel that too but like that line between having such big dreams but just not having what it, you need to accomplish it or like the a base to do it i guess and the, there's i think there's an element that absolutely an element of the tragic there and you see this like with how they talk about that or his mother when they ask her like do you think he's ever going to actually direct his big movie and then she like reasons her way through how hardworking he is how he keeps trying all this stuff but then she concludes her thought by saying no he probably won't make it (laughs) little swedish mom it's sad it is sad it's that kind of like i don't know i think a lot of people just don't bother to dream Mm -hmm. for whatever circumstance like like either it's an active thing where they don't allow themselves to or it just never occurs to them. And like the, like that can be a very happy life or whatever, but I think a lot of times people don't allow themselves to dream of something else or a different a kind of career that they actually love or that fuels yeah. them creatively or anything like that. It's just Yeah. Or th- also I think there's a third and is sometimes you people give up because I think dreams can be beaten out of you, right? Oh sure. And I mean we see this with uh I mean he's the crypt keeper god uh, love him and may he rest in peace but with uncle bill when uncle bill's like i don't have any dreams anymore <laughs> whatever he says like it's it's like what would i dream about yeah bill is a very curious character and like i want the documentary about bill's life love uncle bill i want to know more about him being a scholar yeah because you meet him and he's really weird sometimes he talks in riddles uh he seems to kind of write poetry maybe or songs but nobody knows why you find out this guy he's like a hundred years old like he like you said he's the crypt keeper absolutely every scene he's 20 years older than the last scene he was in. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah he lives in a trailer by himself and it's 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 uh not quite dilapidated but it's uh it's messy as fuck little like dirty dishes like he just doesn't i don't think he has the means necessarily to take care of himself yeah he's a million years old um but then you find out that he's got like almost 300 grand in the bank but he's living like this kind of in like light squalor um and then his brother mark's dad talks about how bill used to be a scholar and was always the guy you went to when you wanted to know something and he knew about everything maybe there are glimpses of it in current bill as we're watching this movie but it's just it just makes him really fascinating like what was his life before this i think yeah i think we get at the very end that last bit of dialogue from bill which i love that that's what they end the movie on but i think that's i think that's the closest glimpse we get to like old bill sort of his magic (laughs) it kind of becomes a magical creature in that finale 
So he's just like giggling to himself and saying these like incredible <laughs> philosophical things. But but then I, there's something so beautiful about, I don't know, it's so sad that Bill, yeah, ends up in squalor in his trailer after living whatever kind of life he led that apparently there was some renown with him somehow. He was smart. He was thoughtful. He was very respected. And there's a sadness to Bill just sitting in his trailer hanging out and drinking with his nephew but at the same time i'm like and i while i'm judging mark to a degree for some of his behaviors and some of his relationships and whatever as a viewer some shitty viewer then i'm like but also he's the guy that's there looking out for his uncle he's the guy who brings him to his house for thanksgiving and gives him a bath yeah gets him drunk and gives him a watching bill trying to kick his legs all over the bathtub it's sweet there's a there's a really cynical way to look at it is like bill's got the money and you know mark knows that and it's like bill's holding basically a lot of the funding for these future projects but i think i don't think that's entirely it by any means i think mark is actually really sweet with his uncle i think he really loves him and i think he has tasked himself with looking after him and that feel like I, he, Jason and I were talking about, it. I think you're absolutely right that he is such a hard worker and also total slacker. Um, because it, Jason and I were talking about it and we're like, well, it's not that he's a failure, but it's just all of his priorities are so skewed. But one of his, one of the priorities that he definitely chooses is looking after Bill. And I guess, yeah, there's the money thing, but he's that way with anybody that has money. If you have $20, Mike, oh we haven't even got to yet we haven't even gotten to mike and or if you have two hundred and eighty thousand, he ask you for the money so uh, there's that but yeah the, the, the i think is the the bathtub scene and just like anytime they're drinking together i'm like i mean it sucks that he's just getting drunk with him but also he's there hanging out with him giving him something to do occupying his time taking care of him and getting him drunk <laughs> so and he's really, I think he's really amused by Bill. Yeah. Like, they have a good time together and they make each other laugh, also. Well, and, and Bill, you know, Bill never gets back his $3,000 that he keeps being told he's going to get back for financing Coven. Uh, or, I, it was supposed to be Northwestern, but then switched to Coven. Uh, Bill, I don't know, he, he, he keeps complaining about it every step of the way. He keeps saying he doesn't believe in what he's making. <laughs> like, yeah. He's well, not that, willing. that'll be the day <laughs> yeah, he's not willing to put out any effort to do anything but at the end of the day i mean after we find out that he dies in the end and it's so sad we also find out that he left mark fifty thousand dollars to complete northwestern and like that he considered that and put that in his will like took the time to actually get a will and have that arranged it's really sweet yeah, I don't know. It's it's when it's this movie is kind of like when I get all I don't know emotional over the the, the tragic and the mundane aspects of life. Oh, it's the beauty of the human experience. Yeah, of just like Mark wanting to do this thing <sighs> and like just kind of and having some skills that could be fostered. Like he clearly, I think there's a baseline. Like I think anybody who actually loves film that much will that's an education you know what i mean like it's you don't have to go to film school if you are actively reading and watching movies with an eye for learning and all of this like that's as much of an education yeah you need to then put it into practice and have things critiqued and you're gonna you know get more experience and grow yeah um but i feel like it it can provide a baseline and he absolutely i think has a baseline but it's just like some of it through circumstance, because things are going to be stacked against you when you live in a suburb of Milwaukee at this time, when it was like pre-internet, when you're trying to shoot on 16 millimeter film, which is super expensive. But the bulk of it is just he can't get out of his own way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're filming a scene and he's making everybody hang out and wait upstairs. And then he's downstairs, suddenly shirtless, dr drinking beer in the basement. <laughs> doing a confessional for the documentary and then he has to yell back at everybody and tell them that he found the towel that he was looking for to silence the camera or to muffle the camera and it's like he's just he's just he'll 
who finds a bottle and then <laughs> gets distracted. I don't know. What a thing it is, though. Uh, shooting on 16 and like he's got the Bolex. He's got the 16 millimeter camera. He's got all this equipment. They go to when they're editing Coven. They go to an editing suite at the University of Milwaukee or whatever. And it's just crazy. Like, what a different time to see his little Swedish mother and his childhood best friend and all of these people cutting film. Isn't it insane? We lost it. We fully lost it. It's amazing. I was like, all of these people are this equipped? This weird Swedish family from Wisconsin? They're all marking and cutting film stock as they edit the film. It's fucking wild. I mean, his mother as a whole, like, what an enigma. <laughs> She's this incredible, sad <laughs> Swedish queen, immigrant, puts up with her son, probably helps raise his children, and <laughs> no, she's watching the train wreck in slow motion, but she's also like, okay, well, I will be cinematographer. <laughs> okay i will cut the film (laughs) yeah she's doing like every position on the movie like at one point you know they're trying to shoot something as like one more scene to shoot over she's like mark please i have so much to do today i have to go to the store i have so much to do and he's like come on man i gotta shoot this one thing and so it's like okay now his mom has like a satanic robe on and is out in the fucking woods in the winter time as a cultist like i'm shopping to do it i have so much i have so much please (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's also really i don't know it's really beautiful to me that all of these people who are like they're all adults this isn't teenagers doing this you know but it's like all of these townsfolk friends of his relatives whatever have all like given up some time all of this to kind of try to make this art happen yeah i love it I love it. Well, and then and then everyone shows up. Like that was a huge fucking line to see the movie at the end. Like it's a community effort. It is just this just reminds me of growing up in a small town. There's the friend's house that everyone goes over to at the end of the day. You're all a family. Every there's somebody has a camcorder. In this case, it was me. We're all making a film. You're all just doing this thing because that's what you have to do. It's how you pass the time when everybody else isn't like at school or at their jobs that they hate. <laughs> it's I love that community element of this movie. It was it's beautiful. It's what you do. And then there's always the uh the local actors. I love Robert. Oh, the bitchy gay actor. The bitchy gay local actor. <laughs> there's always one. He is such a type. He is incredible. Rob wait, there's that shot when he's like Mark is just staring at this shot and he's not saying anything. He's like, uh, it's kind of, mm. and then Robert just goes, I'll take off my scarf. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's just so amazing. I'm cold as hell. <laughs> I just love Robert. There was one Mark was like, uh, oh man, that was great, man. You arched your eyebrow. Oh, well, should I not? <laughs> <laughs> It's such a type of like the probably in his 50s, 60s, like flaming homosexual, uh, you know, perennial bachelor type who does community theater. I'll take off the scarf. (laughs) I'll never get over it. It's so good. His scarf was too loud. Yeah. It's, there is, it's a, it's, I mean, this is waiting for Guffman, right? Like, right. Oh, for sure. There's a waiting for Guffman element for sure. Absolutely. Within the film, because it's, it's uh, quirky St. Clair. How is that any different than Mark? He's a massive fuck up. He's super weird. He is a, a genius in his own respect, like a very singular genius unto himself. And everyone's going to band together and help this person because they believe in this very specialized vision that ultimately will never take off. And I love it. I don't know. I feel like, and maybe this is just me generalizing, but it feels like as the landscape shifts, and quite frankly, people just like have nice TVs and or are worried about paying their bills more than ever. But I just, I feel like the landscape has shifted a little bit away from this kind of thing, maybe, as 
as cinema is changing, as theaters are dying, as <laughs> all of what? this, <laughs> you know, live theater, movie theaters, like we're you, just you, both the industries I chose to work in. <laughs> Isn't it great? Huh. There, I'm sure there must be kids still shooting movies in the in their backyards. They're just now right. they're just doing it on their phones. Well, oh, I see. So you mean like not in terms of the stories that we're telling like this, but in terms of doing like as a cultural practice of people going out and doing this. Right. Like, is this going to is a coven going to happen now? Well, <sighs> I don't know. Like the, the pace of life is different. The economy is very different. Yeah. Art forms are different. Media is different. Yeah, the media landscape is completely different. I mean, that's the thing is there's always going to be those weird, there's going to be the weird art fag kids that are going to do shit like this. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, we're we're mimicking what we're seeing from our, our cultural producers. So he was mimicking Romero, Carpenter, you know, uh, Hooper. And, and then kids today, well, I guess they're going to be mimicking um, Miranda Singh. <laughs> oh come on <laughs> I, I can't say that because now they're all mad at her um but they're gonna be i don't know but there's I, i'm curious is the desire to make a film or is it to make a tiktok and i don't mean to sound like a judgy elder millennial when i say that I, i'm like genuinely curious like is is there a, but there is a big cinema culture with the youth today there are the weird criterion kids mm-hmm. oh they, yeah they're always going to exist but i do think the bulk of it creators have shifted probably to to youtube or tiktok it's i mean first of all it's easier it's much easier not to say it's not work being a youtuber is actually hard work it's different kind of content it's like people are it's not so much fiction anymore isn't the focus you know what i mean it's kind of like reality has reality programming has taken over Mm, fully so why sit around and then spend all your time writing the 90 page script and then trying to come up with funding to shoot it and then buying all the props and doing all of this when it's like you could take that money and take a trip and film yourself somewhere on a trip and upload it and there you go it's done yeah i don't know i guess i just still want a waiting for guffman to happen i still want a coven to happen you know yes that's i think that was what hit me the most with this film was i got so sad thinking of all the all these weirdo homemade tours and geniuses and artists and just all these all the stories we're never gonna get to see which feels massive to even consider but i'm just like when you think about i, I don't know i think about this as i get older and as i, I there's so many things i still want to make and i feel like i've i've made it somewhere in my life but i'm always comparing myself to other people blah 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 and I don't know. You see, you see the next descendant of famous Hollywood star getting to do whatever the hell they want. But then there's a million other people that are just like struggling to break in and get their story told. And then it just makes me so sad thinking about all of those, all of these brilliant stories that don't get, that don't rise up through the top of, um, you know, whatever, whatever means of evaluation they're even being looked at, if they're even being looked at. It's a bummer, man a bummer but look at all the geniuses out there look at mike oh mike the angelic genius r.i.p king he died last year i guess so sad yeah cancer have i ever loved a single person on film more nobody loves anybody as much as they love mike when they watched american movie just when we get to his monologue about how he lost money playing scratch hits (laughs) they call them scratch offs in wisconsin he lost money playing scratch offs. I call them scratch offs. You do? Yeah. That sounds like jack off. No. Scratch its. I've never heard scratch it. I've never really. Heard. That sounds like something. That sounds like you have a rash. And you put on scratch it. No, you put on don't scratch it. Don't scratch it, listeners. Do you scratch off or do you scratch it? Tell us. We need to know. Um, well, anyway. Mike talks about how he loses all this money or how he can lose when you do scratch it, scratch offs. But anytime you use drugs and alcohol, you're going to lose. <laughs> it's just amazing. I just love him. I'm just seeing these two together. They're like, 
a bizarre him and Mark. They had just like this bizarre real life Jay and Silent Bob. And I just don't know what to do with it. Just love that man. They just love each other. But that's the thing. Movies about people that have genuine connections and love other people. This movie fully does that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, when they when it's Thanksgiving and they're talking about what they're thankful for, and Mike is thankful that he won two hundred dollars on a scratch off or whatever. Yeah, and then Mark is like that he was thankful that Mike came over because he was in a bad mood and didn't even want to get out of bed and you know depressed and all this, and then Mike came over and put a smile on his face. Yeah, I saw, I saw this guy. I didn't have a smile on my face. It's so lovely. Like they just genuinely care about each other. And then that Mike is also, Mike is a genius of his own. Oh, yeah. He's like composing music. He's making songs. He's been made all those albums on his own. Survived death probably multiple times. Has all these horrible drug stories. And and yet he's like this Brian Wilson musical genius who also scored this movie. Yeah. It's also an interesting contrast of like how Mark is very bombastic about all of this and is like i'm gonna be a famous filmmaker and i'm gonna do this and do fuck the man and blah 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 and he's trying to make his art and then you have mike who is happy to just make the art quiet genius it's so good if you guys have never seen this do yourself a favor check it out it's a great movie or if you haven't seen it in a while revisit it I don't, you know what? I was like, when the hell? How? Because I I remembered the Coven. I, when you were talking about that, I remember Coven. I remembered uh, the not Whitney Houston song that Uncle Bill has to say 36 times or whatever. <laughs> the, his ADR line that you that you quoted that got us on this episode. Uh, I remembered all, but I was like, God, when the hell? How long has it been? And I really don't think I have seen this since it first came out. I think we watched it in um, a video production class in high school when we were doing our documentary unit. And I'm just like, oh my God. Holds up. It's a great film. I remember when it came out on DVD because it had, the DVD had Coven on it. And I was was really excited because like, I don't know, when you finally see some glimpses of the finished product of Coven when they have the premiere, you think maybe this will be okay. Mm Mm-hmm. It's unwatchable. It's terrible. Really? Yeah, it's really bad. Oh, it's, I, I think it's just because it's black and white and it makes everything look better than it is, you know? Oh, right. Yeah, it looks artful. It looks artful. Great trick if you want to make your shitty movie look good. <laughs> just hit that grainy or that, yeah, that, that filter. Well, I think there's a, a, a good indicator of this early on when he's having auditions for Northwestern. And the two characters. It's like a father and a daughter, I think. And they're talking about, she's run up a phone bill talking to somebody. And the guys who are auditioning are like, you talked on the phone for 300 minutes. Do you know how much I have to pay for 300 minutes? Blah, blah, blah. And then you see Mark and he's like, they're making a mockery of my words, man. I'm going to have to go in there and show them how it's done, man. They're totally like fucking up my dialogue, man. And so he goes in and he does it. He does the line reading. And it's like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> it's like, okay, what's in your head? It's the thing that like you see somebody try in theater class in high school. And then the teacher says, the goal is not to scare the audience. I did see that. Apparently he directed a film in like 2018. He did a documentary. That was at Sundance about a UFO festival. You should check that out. I should. I love UFO festivals. I've always wanted to go to one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's one in Oregon that I miss every single year. And I'm uh, for literally so, like 25 years. <laughs> oh, never... you have to go. I know I have to go. There's always something the same time. And I've never made it. The McMinnville UFO Festival. Well, make it a priority. I really need to. Yeah, I want that for you. I really you know, I'm that. kind of afraid of what will come out the other side. Oh, full Archangel Uriel. Full, yeah. <laughs> UFO car. I, there's part of me that feels like there's a cult in your future. Oh, oh, you're only now saying this? I am well. <laughs> Listen, the second I make it anywhere near El Cajon, California, and I meet the Uranian Society, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> either starfield or that the, i'm not, i'm out of society as long as you're happy thank you
You know what else? I just as a 90 90s time capsule, I screamed so loud when Bill's like, There's an even a drink for me here <laughs> whatever. And they bring him a new soda. Oh yeah. As Mike says to him, it's a brand new soda from Coca-Cola. It's called Surge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Watching fucking decrepit ass Uncle Bill sit there and sip his Surge soda in the can. My dream of the 90s eyes were just spinning. Oh yeah. Well, Stacy, with all of that said, over 36 takes with Uncle Bill. Are you ready? To enter the b- 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 bonus round, I'm ready. Jesus told me so. <laughs> yeah, Bill's a little. He's he would he and Mary Brown. I want to see them on a date together. Oh, would that be sweet? My dinner with Mary Brown. Right, the scholar and the every woman. (laughs) So what are we doing for today's bonus round? What will it be? Pick your poison. Shall it be the, what's it called? The best great value pyramid? Oh my gosh. The chopping block? A listener question? Or a question for each other? I have a question. Yes? Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you have a question. Oh, yeah, so I have a question, because, you know, American Movie got me thinking. Well, I'm always thinking about, let's be real, actresses. <sighs> as an actress sexual. Uh, I just love to watch a good performance. Yeah. I love it. And so I thought, you know, we've talked endlessly, and everybody has talked endlessly about great horror performances over the last, like, I don't know, five years, something like that. Oh, yes, Tony Collette in Hereditary. Sure, sure. Florence Pugh in Midsummer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. We do this ourselves. Oh, yeah. I'm calling us out or yeah. calling us in or whatever, you know. Absolutely. Do I have to hear about Mia Goth and Pearl one more time? Probably, because it's fucking great. But, (laughs) so I pitched to Anthony, what are some of your favorite unsung performances in horror? Doesn't have to be like a favorite actress. It can be, or it can be be an actor. It can also be a man. It doesn't have to be a woman. Um, But it can be a super side character. Uh, the smallest like a character with one line or whatever but just like a performance that stands out to you that you love that they that you think is really effective or just did what it was supposed to do that's all but that isn't the usual ones we always talk about no i love this question thank you for this question your question broke me oh dear because i'm like i don't know any i can't think of any of them (laughs) Oh, well, first I couldn't think of any, and then I thought of everything. And then I was just like, I could probably find somebody in every movie I've ever seen. Exactly. Call the list. Because, but I mean, I have like 25 names here. I mean, I really, there's probably down to like seven main selections. But like, also I went with a lot of kind of smaller performances. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, there's so much. It's a challenge. And then sometimes I'm like, is this even horror? Do I just want to talk about this performance? It's incredible. Oh, well, that's, so a, that's a can of worms. That's a vat of worms to open. There's so much good stuff. I feel like also, I feel like I must be said that there's a million better things than what I could list and think of. These are just the things that have lingered with me that I thought of in, in the last day. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And there are some that I didn't, that I wanted to include, but I didn't, where it's just like... I don't know. I think about perfect moments. Like just one reaction to something. Yeah. Is so perfect and rings so true. Yeah. And it can just be the tiniest thing. So I didn't add all those because it's like we'd be here forever. Some of these are some of mine are are very beefy characters, like they're right up front versus right. a my my ma'am. Like third my my ma'am from the left or whatever. That <laughs> Famous Wes Craven movie. <laughs> Wes Craven presents the third by third my by my man on the left. Uh, 
Anyway, I don't know. Hit me with one. Uh, Patricia DeCoe as Mary Brown in the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I mean, I actually was just throwing that out as a joke, but is she not a singular character that nobody will ever forget? No one will ever forget Mary Brown. Because first of all, we won't let them. But... <laughs> Talk about a scene stealer. My God. My God. Uh, no, I but yeah, yes, her, but um, one that I would start off with a beefier role. And I've actually brought this up on the show before. A couple of mine I've brought up several times before. Um, I would say Tracy Lords in Excision. I think primarily because she's, you know, mostly known for being herself, for being Tracy Lords, or, you know, her work in John Waters films, or, well, uh, you know, all of her work in films leading up to that. Um, excision she just plays a conservative mom who is mean to her daughter and loves her daughter but doesn't know how to love her in the way that her daughter needs and she does a great job she does a she acts a beautiful performance and uh proud of her would love to see more recognition for her and for that role in particular i still gotta see that you should i don't know if it, i i need to catch up and watch it again it's been a while but what's one of yours uh, one of mine. Have you guys seen A Tale of Two Sisters? Of course you have. But if you haven't, please plug your ears. Because <laughs> I'll give some stuff away. But uh, Yum Jung Ah, as Yunju, the stepmother in A Tale of Two Sisters, I think is such a fucking incredible performance. She's fantastic. Um, Because you realize when things are revealed in the movie... And then you think back on moments that you saw earlier in the film. You have you realize how layered her performance is because she's playing one thing on the surface, but something else entirely is going on underneath the surface. And she's an entirely different person under the surface. And so you realize how she's balancing those two things and playing both at once, but you don't realize it until the end. Yeah. And she's just fucking incredible. She's an incredible actress. If y'all have not seen Sky Castle, the K-drama that she is in, Chef's Kiss, Chef's Kiss, Chef's Kiss. Oh, oh Sky Castle's so much fun. It's so good. It's her and Kim So Hyung, who you know that I love, the lesbian in mine. And she's from several Whispering Corridors movies and, you know woman after my own heart she's perfect but anyway they're both in sky castle and sky castle's so much fun and incredible and she's just really great at being evil but taylor two sisters we all know this is one of the greatest movies ever but i think her performance is just masterful she's amazing um one that i i had to choose an actress for one of my next ones just <laughs> In general, well, specifically for two of her roles, because these are two small roles. Are they small? One of them is essentially a co-lead. But I'm going with Casey Lemons, okay? Oh, yeah. For playing one Bernadette in Candyman and two Ardelia Map. Ardelia motherfucking Map in The Silence of the Lambs. Here's the thing. You, you would not have, we would not have... Clary Starling or Helen without Ardelia or Bernadette. It's true. We would not know who these women are as real people without those characters. Uh, they give them a, a grounded p- position in reality. They make them funny. We see them more as just their function in the story as a as a like what a detective, an investigator, um, essentially both the roles. We get to see them living, laughing, loving, thanks to these characters. And they humanize them deeper. And I have thought Ardelia Mapp is the coolest motherfucker since I saw Sound of Slams for the first time like 30 years ago. She's in like two scenes! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How does Casey Lemons give such life to these characters that really don't get to do anything... Bernadette gets to do quite a bit more, I do think. Oh, yeah. But, like, how do these characters get to be so memorable and do so much despite not being featured that strongly in their films? 
And how do they, how do Ardelia and Bernadette linger with me so much 20, 30 years later? Well, Bernadette, especially, is such a tragedy. Oh, it's such a tragedy. It's so sad. God, Virginia Madsen is fucking great in that movie, too. Oh, both of them. It's incredible acting. I mean, aesthetically, the choices, just as a piece of art, Candyman is, is perfect. Candyman and Silence of the Lambs. Ha-cha-cha. That's why nothing else happened in the 90s in horror until the new teen cycle. Because we exhausted everything we could ever need with Candyman and the Silence of the Lambs. Over the span of a year? My god, what a time. Perfect movies! Perfect movies, and I'm gonna say Casey Lemons, perfect queen. Absolutely. Also, everyone, if you haven't seen Eve's Bayou, 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 Bayou. Bayou. <laughs> if you haven't seen Eve's Bayou by, by Casey Lemons, her film that she directed, uh, you have to see it. She's just, I just love Casey Lemons is what I'm saying. I'm with you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to go to a small part for this one. A uh, movie we talked about last week, I believe it got mentioned. Um from creep show creep show is full of everybody just at the top of their game god um but a performance that really sticks out for me is vivica linfors as aunt bedelia oh in father's day um she drives to nathan's grave to her father's grave and she has it out with him she's drinking and kind of having it out with him for the things that he did to her that you know he and then she killed him and then he comes back and she gets killed and there's some funniness to it but it's also she imbues that character with a lot of a really sad backstory Mm. um and i just think it's it's shockingly rich character for first of all for creep show yeah um but second of all for just dotty old aunt bedelia She's wicked. Who's just mostly monologuing at a headstone through it. And it's just, it's a funny performance. It's a tragic performance. I love Aunt Bedelia. And she basically kicks off the fun house that is Creepshow. And I yep. love it. I fucking love Creepshow to the ends of the earth. I've said that a million times on this show, but I love everybody in that movie. But I love her almost most of all. Like... <sighs> Is Father's Day not the coolest, swankiest, sexiest thing you've ever seen in your life? Yeah. <laughs> just like everyone's so cool. Ed Harris is there, just like hot. And everyone's <laughs> so cool. It's so over the top. It's like Dark Shadows family drama. And then you're telling me you've got Aunt Bedelia on top of all of it. It's, I mean, it's one of the most, I think it's the best out of all of Creepshow as a story itself it's maybe my favorite like the other ones have elements that i love the most but i think as a short it's my favorite it's just like because it's so short it's just stephen king firing on all cylinders yeah um it's got a crazy ending we have a zombie coming out of the ground which i never get except you in fulci and it's like my you favorite thing um you know you get a, re- a reference to the haunting or to um sorry to Rebecca, the housekeeper is named Mrs. Danvers. Like it's just, oh my god, she is. <laughs> yeah, it's just like all these little things, and like you said, it's hot. Like Ed Harris and Cass are hot. Yeah, they're hot. And the bitchy fag brother, oh. and like the cool ass like old dowager mom, and Aunt Bedelia, and it's just like it's fucking great like that's the gothic family drama you want to watch right yeah and it's all condensed down into like 15 minutes 10 minutes or something and so it feels like four minutes yeah but it's just perfect that's the thing all the other segments in creep show have length to them or i'm aware with 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 anthology films there's always the issue of pacing because they vary from short to short and then there's the pace of the movie as a whole and you're, you're absolutely like Father's Day is perfect. It's so lean. It's all you need. Yeah. Like the crate. Oh, fucking love Billy. The crate kind of goes on, as does the the final segment, the bugs. But yeah, Father's Day, it's all you need. 
Oh yeah, I forget that uh, John Amplis plays Nathan Grantham. He plays the zombie that comes out of the ground. That's I was gonna say. It wasn't John Amplis in that? Yeah, Love him. yeah. He was in Martin George Romero's Martin, as you all know, I'm sure. He is also he's. I think he's a college professor these days, and he is the sweetest guy you'll ever meet. Absolutely, just a complete angel, and he's a very nice dog. So there you go. Love Ampadilla. Love Creep Show. Um. The next one I'll say, uh, this is another movie that I have recommended time and again on this show, and I'm going to recommend this performance once more. Uh, Millie Perkins in The Witch Who Came From the Sea. I love this movie. I don't know what this, this movie, it's, it's probably just fine if anybody else watched it. But to me, there is so much um, Valerie Solanas DNA in this film. It's a misandrous fantasy. It's also a melodrama. It's also a tragedy. It's a it's about a horrible life that this woman has been subjected to. It's her trying to surpass that life and become something more kind of in line with American movie, except she decides to snap and she starts killing men. Um, But Millie Perkins brings so much sadness to this role and so much reality. Um, And it was also partially autobiographical. She co-wrote the movie with her husband. And so it kind of tells little bits of her real life story in this while while you're also getting this extremely grindhouse like sort of 42nd street um melodrama misandrous nightmare <laughs> new thing that's happening and i don't know how they do the balancing act that they do in this movie but i think it all relies on millie perkins and what she's able to sell as an actress from the script that she wrote and I just really, I appreciate that. This movie toes a lot of lines in terms of where it's going aesthetically, where it's going with its it, all the tone. It's all over the place, but she really cements it and sells it. So if you all have not seen it, you should definitely check out Millie Perkins and The Witch Who Came From The Sea. I'll have to see that one one of these days too. Yeah, one of these days. I think you'd like it. I, I'm Once again, I'm so unsure how anyone would receive this movie that's not me. <laughs> You put that on our recommendations shelf at Movie Madness in Portland, Oregon. I did. Our, I was going to say sold out, but it was very rented out the entire time it was up, which was very cool. Nice. Thanks, y'all. Well, my next choice is an actress that I always love whenever she pops up in something. Um, and that is, but this specific performance, Veronica Cartwright as Lambert in Alien. Oh. I think is perfect. Thank you. I have this theory that when I look at some of the hated characters, usually in horror movies, who are the ones that are hated? It's, first of all, it's almost always women. Uh, But it's the women who cry. It's the women who freak out. It's the women who get scared. And the actresses who are actually really good at portraying all of those things. Um, I'm thinking specifically of like Barbara in the original Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. I'm thinking about Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance in The Shining. And I think about Lambert in Alien. You are so right. These characters are all kind of hated. And I feel like a lot of it is kind of a, because they tap into something, I think... The portrayals are so good. And I think a lot of it taps into this sense that we have as an audience that we would probably be the same way. Mm -hmm. We all want to think that we're going to be Ripley. We all think that we're going to want to think that we're going to be Barbara in the Tom Savini Night of the Living Dead remake. Yeah, we're just strapping ammo chains to ourselves. Yeah, we're going to fucking kick ass and no one's going to kill us and we're going to be tough and, you know, we're all going to be Linda Hamilton, right? Like, oh, yeah. Dare to dream. But the truth is, we're going to be freaking out, probably. We might even cry. You might be useless in a situation, at least for a while. You're telling me I might just go catatonic on a couch and then get pulled through a window by zombies? It could happen. I know that I like, I fully admit it that, you know, this is, I know my fate. Look, I know how I am in a panic situation. I'm terrible. Hmm. Don't rely on me. My job in the zombie apocalypse is to fall down and give my friends time enough to get away because the (laughs) zombies are distracted because I fell down. 
That's my job. That's okay. But we just end up hating these characters and like, oh, she's whiny and useless. I was so glad when she died. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think these the reactions that these characters have are very human. None of us would know what it is like to be faced with the fucking xenomorph. None of us know what it would be like to be in the zombie apocalypse. I don't know. I tend to really have a fondness for these characters anyway, but then I just become that much more enamored with the performances because they are so truthful and so accurate and so well executed that people end up hating seeing such weakness on film. Oh, you are so right. I don't think I've ever heard that articulated before. And that is exactly what that is. And that is a real thing. Spoiler alert, they also make the movies scarier. Right. Because you and your little mirror neurons see how scared they're getting, and then you get scared because you are reacting to another human being having a feeling. I, I mean, I will I have never understood the ire thrown at Shelley Duvall for the show. Oh, it's insane. We talked about it on our sh- episode on The Shining. It's like public perception has come around. To an extent, because Shelley's personal story has become more known. But I think also people, some people are looking at that performance through a different lens because now the narrative is, she was abused by Stanley Kubrick. Like that's become the narrative. And so people are like, well, no wonder she acted like that. She blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's not fair either. She was an incredibly fucking skilled actress. And yes, he pushed her too far. But I think to just say like, she's like that because of stanley kubrick it's like you're taking away from shelly duvall's skill yeah she's like that because she was making incredible choices as an actor like i just i don't know it's an incredibly honest performance and it's like yes not everybody is fucking rambo all the time yes i'm shirtless and with a headband on but that's just the way i like to dress yeah that's that's normal yeah that's date night at olive garden which we do do. <laughs> we do do. <laughs> oh boy. I don't know. I just, I, I can't stand the hate thrown at these characters. This is, I am like going, I'm having an out-of-body experience hearing about this and hearing this named in that way for the first time because I just screened Death Trap, the um, Sidney Lumet adaptation of the Levin play. You know, have you you've seen Death Trap? Not in forever, but yeah, Michael Caine, Christopher Reeve. Gay. Yeah. <laughs> in the Kyle Richards way. It's great. Um, but I, I it's funny because I screened that and Diane Cannon is uh Michael Cannon's Michael Cannon, Michael Caine's wife in the film, and she is the heart of the movie, and she is that character that is always scared. And she's always jumping and reacting, but she's also so funny, so animated, so full of life. And reading about that film, and as I was like, you know, writing the pro- programmatic material to go with the movie and giving my intro, whatever, as I'm like researching it and learning about it, um, that role was nominated for a Razzie for Worst Actress. Diane Cannon was. And so it's was like, Shelley Duvall. Yes. And it's like, what? It, I, so I started to zero in on that. Like, what is this thing where we hate women that are so good at selling terror? And just, oh, it's because they're playing a fully fleshed out woman and we can't have that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So it's just wild to me that I just saw that again happen with Diane Cannon in a comedy thriller, nonetheless. Right. And But we still have that reaction. Well, I look at, like, I do enjoy the Tom Savini Night of the Living Dead remake, but that is such a prime example of it, of like, how do we course correct from original barbara not that i think she needed any course correction but okay we want to take a different tack with this character what do we do we turn and bless patricia tallman i love her i love you know i do like barbara 1990 but it's like the way of making her more palatable to the audience was to turn her into ripley yeah whereas i think george romero on the other hand i think he course corrected himself also from barbara but he did it with sarah in day of the dead who yeah is a little more on the ripley side of things she's very tough and doesn't put up with any shit but she's also very fucking human yeah 
and does have moments of weakness and is a little more fully fleshed out. It's like women are only for a time. I think it's, we're going back. We're, we're coming back from the precipice, but of course for a while women were only allowed to be the strong female character. Like in the bro horror era, you could have a woman in the movie, but she wasn't allowed to cry. She wasn't allowed to be weak. She had to be the strong female character. Yeah, maybe she calls someone faggot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Where she was like, I can do this as well as any man. Mm-hmm. So Veronica Cartwright, I love her in everything. She's great at freaking out and crying. She does that a lot. She does it in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. She did it in The Birds. <laughs> she oh, was yeah. a kid. Like, I just, I think she's fantastic. And I love Lambert. And I would absolutely be Lambert. Hell yeah. Go watch some movies, you guys. Do it. Imagine (laughs) that. (laughs) Honestly, they they could use the boost. That's true. They could. Uh, Well, I guess that's it for today. I think so. And that's, is that it for? That might be the end of We Saw Mama Moo in Concert Month. It might be. It might be. It probably is. We have to come up with some other theme. Yeah, we'll have to consult the the theme pool. Um. Yeah. So we'll be back. It's some, I'm not sure if we'll be here next week. We might. We might not. I don't know. Who can say? My crystal ball is cloudy. Whether we're here or not, though, you can find a lot of stuff on our website, galosordarkness.com. Old episodes that maybe you haven't ever heard before are on there. There are episodes of the Necronomalog that maybe you haven't watched. You could watch those. Um. You can, well, I don't know. You can spend your time however you see fit. <laughs> That's your business. I love, so when I, when I, the very first time I did, uh, like, um, nonprofit, uh, uh public television, <laughs> which is such a specific genre, but the very first time I did that, they said, you can't make any calls to action. And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you can't say go to my website. You can say you can go to my website. Oh. And I've noticed, I love this about you that you don't say go to our website. You say you can go, you can watch the Necronomalog. You are so affirming of the agency of our listeners that's right who i call fans but you call them listeners and you tell them they can do this right well and i love that well i am thankful for anybody who chooses to spend time with us listens to us subscribes to the show whether you subscribe on the ipod thing (laughs) (laughs) and out the window (laughs) uh you know well i just i don't know there's a lot of things vying for everybody's attention and so i don't like to make demands uh but i do sincerely appreciate everybody who tunes in for sure and if that's how they choose to spend their time thank you very much i love it you could also okay well i'm gonna go um (laughs) (laughs) we'll be back thank you bye For a haunted tome made out of skin, it's so loosely structured, yet informative. I know, right? Uh, Is it over? It's glowing and spinning on its own, so I'm gonna guess yes. Ah, Oh oh my god! god. Oh my my god! God. Tune in next time for more Gaylords of Darkness! Ha, ha, ha.